everyone, and welcome to Minute 102 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again this week is Father David Mowry, chaplain to the Movies by Minute community. Welcome back, Father David. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is Donald Pleasant's Appreciation Week. <laughs> we are thankful for Donald Pleasant's and... <laughs> We're going to continue talking about uh, a week that, that is filled with Donald Pleasants. Chock full of Donald Pleasants. So minute 102 begins with Roger picking up uh, a fallen Colin and goes all the way till Henley disagreeing with Roger. So as we discussed yesterday, Colin took a little bit of a fall by the outstretched uh, leg that for some reason he didn't see and uh, took a tumble. As this minute begins, we get to see that he actually picks him up. Roger is not so much of a monster as to trip a blind man and then just let him fall all the way to the ground. He's just enough of a monster to trip him in the first place. But then he's a gentleman about it to help him stand back up again. Exactly. And, you know, as, as we discussed <laughs> yesterday, you know, the, the way that, that Colin falls is is a, a typical acting fall. Roger has to pick him up quickly so that nobody will really notice that he didn't really fall. <laughs> Hands out, making sure to, to keep that moneymaker face from hitting the rough plywood of the stage floor. But uh, Richard Attenborough is a consummate professionalist right there to help him recover and get him settled back on the bunk. Yeah. So he, he basically picks him up, you know, straightens out his uh, – and Roger straightens out Colin's jacket, which, which I found to be funny the way that he does that. And – you know, the whole time Henley's just... Yeah, I mean, the man the man is blind. He's not a child. Exactly. You can let him straighten out his <laughs> own jacket. I mean, but that that's always a temptation we have when uh, approaching people who have uh, uh, handicaps like blindness or deafness. That we, we don't just treat them as an adult who can't do something that we take for granted. We treat them like a child. We act as though they don't understand the ways of the world or they can't do things for themselves. And that kind of infantilization of those who struggle with these kinds of conditions is, I think, a worse imposition than you know, even sticking one's leg out to make a point. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. He basically, you know, pats him on the back and, and says, uh, sit down, sit down. <laughs> and then I love how he says it was a good try. What, what what does that mean? It was a good try. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, I think it was like what like we talked about yesterday. <laughs> he is in escape mode, and so Colin is doing what Roger is asking everyone in the camp to do: to think creatively and try to be clever about getting out of what is seen to be a unfair imposition, a unfair restriction on one's liberty. And so I think Roger is just in a mode of game respecting game here. That he recognizes that Colin is trying to do what everyone's trying to do is just escape and he's doing what he thinks he needs to do in order to get out. Yeah. I mean, he definitely empathizes with him. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, this, this whole conversation is not, he's not giving him a stern tongue, tongue lashing. You know, he's, he's trying to, to, to make it all be all right. You know, like, like you said, it seems like he's, you know, a father talking to a child and trying to tell him, all right, it'll be okay. You'll, you'll get out another time. You won't get out this time, but you know, do you think Roger's empathy is tied with the scar by his eye that he came close to losing his own eyesight? And so he's a little more empathetic to a man who's going blind? That's a very good point. I didn't think about that. I would actually say no. It probably, I mean, again, we don't know how 
he got his, his, his supposed injury? You know, was it something that happened in his childhood? Is it something that happened when he got shot down? Is it something that happened, you know, when he was being beaten up by the Gestapo? I mean, there's, there's so many different mm-hmm. possibilities of what it could be. You know, could it be that he was, you know, holding a pin and almost put it out of his eye? I don't know. <laughs> if that was the case, I then, know what it was. Roger, Roger, Roger was tripped by one of his older brothers, and his older brother didn't catch him as he was on his way down. And Roger hit his eye on the corner of a cabinet or a table or something, and it scarred him permanently. So he knows the power of tripping, but is quick to save someone from fully experiencing the consequences of such a terrible thing. Right, and and at the same time that he that he hit his eye on the the side of the of the table, there was there was a, a sewing pin there that you know caused a little bit more damage. So he he has a lot more empathy when uh, dealing with sewing pins on the ground. <laughs> it's always going back to a pin. There's always a pin involved. Every traumatic moment in my life, there's a pin somewhere. Oh, he's going to need so much therapy. Yeah, but first he's got to get out. <laughs> they they didn't have their uh, you know camp therapist. There's, there's no therapist in 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 the ex organization. Yeah, you have your your well, and you know the the Luftwaffe had the funds for a therapist to come to the camp, but then there were budget cuts back in Berlin, and those funds got divest, diverted into uh, other projects. And so, what are you going to do? It's just you can't provide the same quality of care that POWs in the past were accustomed Correct. to. And as they say in Schlossbank, you know, when you get money, it's used more guards, more bars, and I'm trying to remember the third thing. There was a third thing that 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 there was also. But uh, not money for the prisoners. <laughs> yeah, so at this point, Roger then starts explaining, well, you know, I hate these last-minute letdowns. Uh, everyone does. <laughs> He's not really stating something here that, that, uh, that, that isn't the obvious. Who, I mean, anyone who's listening to this, if you've ever had a last-minute letdown that, you're, that you were not upset about, let us know. You know, <laughs> most people, if it's a letdown. I mean, now, of course, letdown, there, are, there are always those things. <laughs> If it's a letdown, uh, are you able to hate it? But you know, sometimes you're looking forward to something and you know, say you're going to get lunch with a friend and you know it's going to be a great time. You're going to be able to really get into some deep conversation. It's going to be a two, maybe three-hour thing. And then the friend calls the last minute like, ah, I can't make it. This thing came up at work. You know, that's a letdown, but you did just get two, three hours back. So that that's not bad. That's right. you've, so, got, yeah, you've got well, three you hours and you're sitting watch The Great Escape again. There you go. Perfect. I can think of no better way to spend three hours. So that's a letdown, but that's not, you know, sometimes I don't mind those things happening because it does mean, oh, okay, now my schedule's open up. Like, oh, this is kind of nice. Okay, well, now I can do some other things or maybe I can do nothing because I was planning on not getting anything done during this time frame anyway. So there are certain circumstances in which a letdown could be a positive thing. Escaping a German prisoner of war camp during World War II, however, getting that, that's not one of them. No, um... Listeners, let us know uh, if your experience is otherwise from your time as prisoners of wars in German uh, camps in World War II. But uh, our guess is probably escaping was something you were looking forward exactly. to. Exactly, and it is a pretty big last-minute letdown. But I, yeah. I, I love the fact that, that you know, Roger says, but I've only just been told. What do you mean you've only just been told? We just saw in, in a scene you know, a few minutes ago. That, that Colin noticed that, you know, that his eyesight's going. So my question is, who actually tipped Roger off? Well, it's Mac's job to know everything. So Mac found out somehow um, whoever that 
worthless forger that Blythe was working with. Maybe he overheard... Was his name Thomas? I'm trying to remember... Ah, I talked about it uh, two weeks ago. I'm trying to remember the, the, the guy's name. Oh, oh well, because I won't remember it. Eagleless. Uh, <laughs> one eagle shy of a, of a, of a full uniform. Uh, so when Eagleless you know, misses that detail, maybe he was hanging around in the rack hall and overheard Blythe Smith. say Smith out loud... I, Smithy. Smith. Smithy. Oh, Smith and Blythe. So Smithy maybe overheard Blythe say, I can't see a bloody thing or whatever the exact line is. And because he can't see anything, he doesn't know if there's someone in the room with him or not. Uh, that's a good point. Maybe that is, maybe that, that's how it got back to him. That's a very, very good point. That, that's, uh, but I, it, and the thing is, is that, that you know, we know that, that, that Henley is noticing something's going on. So it's possible that Henley told him. But then there's also the whole idea that, that, that Roger mentioned that he's, you know, they knew that Roger was coming to the room, which is why last week there was a point where, you know, Blythe thought that Henley was Roger. So he was expecting him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The question is, what was he really expecting? You know, how, how did that play out? You know, did, did, did uh, you know, were they setting a meeting for something else and it just happened to be at this moment, you know, Roger found out about the, the eyesight issue or is it something... That you know, what what did Blythe think he wants to to come and talk about? Because obviously Blythe set up the whole pin uh, scenario. You know, he knew Roger was right. coming. So that that's an open question that we'll have to, that we'll probably never know the answer to because because those minutes I guess were cut out. You know, they they, they cut them from the from the final version, from the final cut. <laughs> Darn those editors! Yeah, exactly. The movie was already three hours long. Yeah, it's almost as long as the trip on Gillian's Island. another 10 yeah. minutes scene to get into the details of how the intelligence is passed around the camp? <laughs> yeah, but then it brings up the question that Mac is so great in his intelligence, but they weren't able to figure out what they were using the potatoes for. You know. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's not his value. He, he has other people looking into the agricultural intelligence. Apparently. They're the ones who let him down. Yeah. Then Roger basically t- says that it's too risky for you. Now, uh, this is actually a very valid point. You know, he's he's looking out for Colin here. Oh, yeah. And, and Henley, you know, quips back. Basically, Henley's the one who, who tries to advocate uh, against it. Colin, Colin doesn't really pipe up here to try to, you know, defend himself. It's Henley who's trying to defend him. But he basically says it shouldn't be Colin's decision now. You know, we'll, we'll we'll discuss this as this this minute goes along. But but the bottom line is is that, that Henley's wrong here. It it shouldn't be Colin's decision because if people see that that someone's a, a risk to not only to themselves but to the entire escape, there is reason to, to to try to keep them from going. I mean, I would think that that for the same reason, you know, Danny is 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 a risk. You know, they they actually should have let Danny go out through the wire the night before. You know, they shouldn't, uh, Willie shouldn't have tried to stop him because if you have someone who's claustrophobic in the middle of, uh, you know, you know, in the middle of a tunnel, that that could potentially mm-hmm. also be a lot of problem uh, that cause a lot of problems. Right. Well, there's, there, there's, there are several things going on here. Um, I think what's most interesting here is that you in talking about how Henley is wrong here, it highlights an ongoing theme in cinema of a failure to understand military discipline. Right. Bartlett is in charge. He is the decider. He is the one who's making the calls because he's the commanding officer of this escape. And in military terms, and all of these guys in this camp are accustomed to the military, are used to taking orders. If the commanding 
commanding officer says this is not happening in military discipline, you go along with that order. Now, maybe because Hendley is an American, and you know how Americans are, uh, very pushy, very uh, individualistic, yeah, but he's an American, uh, a little bit of a cowboy. But he's an American in the British Army or British, British yeah, Air Force. Details, details. Yeah, but he's, he's got that whole cultural thing uh, going for him. Maybe that's why Hendley feels like he can push back on this a little bit. The other thing that's here is, yeah, what would happen to Blythe if he didn't get out? I mean, certainly the uh, the goal of the escape is to make life as difficult for the Germans as possible. And if Blythe escapes, it will not be difficult for the Germans to scoop him back up. He won't make it 10 yards. And we're not talking about someone like Hiltz who chooses to get recaptured once he gets out. Uh, uh, Blythe will be like a babe in the woods. So in terms of serving the overall purpose of this mission, Blythe's escape doesn't do anything to further those mission objectives. That's true. I definitely agree with, with, with that uh, point. But uh, I think... Because the, the, the alternative is, right, like you do what the commandant says, you just wait out the war as comfortably as possible. Well, for a man who's blind... Okay, sounds like the guy in charge of the camp is not going to make Blythe's life a living hell if he stays behind in the camp. Right. I mean, we know that there's being treated as an officer. We know that there are other injured prisoners. I mean, uh, Ramsey himself is is walking around with a cane. You know, he he got yeah. injured apparently. You know, when when he bailed out, he injured his leg. To, he injured his leg to a point where he's still walking around with a, with a cane. You know, mm -hmm. and he isn't isn't going out on the escape. So it's not as if you know Blythe would be the only one. To, you know, it's not that everyone's going but Blythe. Right. Exactly. I mean, we are planning on getting two hundred and fifty out. Do we? Did we establish early in the film how many prisoners there are in total? The assumption, according to the book, I think there was about 600 prisoners. The movie never established how okay. many prisoners there are, except for the fact that they want to get 250 right. out. Yeah, well, I, I assumed there were more that were staying behind because the dramatic thing in the movie would be to say, we're getting everybody out, which would be, oh, wow, that would be so much, uh, make the stakes that much clearer uh, and make the, the, the number of actual escapees um, not feel as small. Right. That way, oh, 76 seems like a, a big number, but compared to 250, if we know that's how many were planned to get out, then 76 is like, well, it's good. Right. Better than zero prisoners escaping, but... Mm -hmm. Right. Have, have you ever seen uh, the, the, the movie Escape from Sobibor? I have okay, not. So I have to put that on my... Escape Sobibor. from Sobibor? Yes, it's, it's another World War II movie about based on the true story of of 600 prisoners who planned an escape from a concentration camp. Sobibor was, mm. was a concentration camp in, in Poland, uh, relatively not that far from, from here, from Zagin. And mm. there, were, there were 600 prisoners, and the plan was to get all 600 out. But then, they're, then again, they're in a death camp as opposed to this, is, this isn't a death camp. You know, if they, if they stay here, right. they're, they're fine. But in Sobibor, mm -hmm. the idea was to get 600 out. And I'm not going to give it away for, for you or for anyone who hasn't seen oh, it yet. please don't. But, but I highly recommend seeing it. It's a, it's a movie with uh, Alan Arkin, Rutger Hauer, Joanna Pakula, a few other names of, uh, you know, famous actors that are in it. Uh, it was a made-for-TV movie that came out in 1987, if I remember correctly. Great movie. Mm -hmm. No question about it. It's also two and a half hours long, but still worth watching. But there they clearly... Oh, to put it on yeah, my list. Clear, there they clearly state... That the the plan is to get everyone out, all six hundred prisoners. So you're right. If they if they since they say two fifty and they don't say we want to get all two fifty out, 
you know, that would that would then, you know, let us know how many specific prisoners there are. That's a very good point. Basically, they, they begin the debates. You know, Roger says, nope, it's not Colin's decision. He, he, he basically underscores it without having to say it, that as you, you pointed out earlier, I'm the commanding officer. I'm the one who makes the decisions here, not you. Then Henley goes into a little bit of soliloquy explaining why he thinks that Roger's wrong. You know, he says, we all know the score here. Well, at least most of us do. I, lo- I love the way that he says that, meaning that there are a few people here who, who aren't really living in reality and don't realize that, you know, the whole idea here is to, to try to get as far away as possible. But most of us are not going to make it. That, that's what he's basically saying. Here. Right, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's saying there are some people who think, okay, this is my ticket all the way out. That the goal is to get home rather than the goal being make life as difficult on the home front for the Germans as possible. Exactly. I love the fact when he says that, you know, uh, Henley jabs his finger. You know, he's like jabbing it into the air by saying that. Uh, Making a point. He's very emphatic. As, as Harrison Ford has shown us, a good point goes a long way. That is very true. You know, at this point, he, he lays out the whole idea of the, you know, of, of the starting a new front, you know, to foul up the Germans behind the lines, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But he says, but once we get out that wire and, and have them looking all over Germany for us, so at this point, you know, you've, you've done that. You've, you've, you've completed that mission, that part of the mission of, of making them try to, you know, find us. Then afterwards, some of us have ideas of our own. And so Roger then says, you mean like getting home? Hello. I think that's what most people would you know that, that that's what's on everyone's mind getting home or at least getting out of the you know getting getting to friendly lines you know i think that that's more of oh, the with, idea with here. so many of these with some of these officers in this camp they've escaped or attempted to escape so many times i can understand a desire that this time for sure i'm going to get all the way out i'm going to get all the way back home but at, by the same token if you are accustomed to all your attempts being thwarted, I would think that most of the officers would accept the reality of being scooped up once they get out into Germany. Yeah. And, and furthermore, that the point that Hendley makes about Roger being marked, I mean, when you first hear it, it's like, oh, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that Roger is really wanted by the Gestapo. But if you consider the mission objective here, that's exactly the kind of person you want to escape. Yeah. Because that means more resources and a higher priority, and they're going to put better people on that. And the Gestapo and the SS will be scrambling all over to look for escaped prisoners instead of paying attention to spies, to resistance movements, to uh, all kinds of other military intelligence that's going on that the Gestapo and SS would otherwise be looking at. And and then they, they bring up the whole idea of family. You know that they want to get back to their families, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and family and children, which which. At this point, it's it's interesting that they mention that because they're 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 establishing here that, that these are family men. These aren't just eighteen yeah. year olds that have joined up and are on their own. You know, these these, these are you know during World War Two, none of them look eighteen. You know, they're 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 in their late twenties, early thirties, if not forties or fifties. I mean, I think Donald Pleasance can pass for a very spry 19-year-old in this scene, don't yes, you? Yes, especially – that, 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 that acrobatics he shows in taking that fall, it's a, it's a, a, only a young man could do that. That's true, and I would actually even say that, that, that he can pass for, <laughs> for a toddler here because he's just sitting and watching two, two adults have a fight and not – 
he looks so dejected on that bottom bunk. I feel so bad for him. He took his shot. He had a plan, and it didn't work out, and he's so sad about it. The poor man just wants to get back to his family. Yeah. I mean, Donald Pleasance was 43 when this when this movie was filmed, 43, 44, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's... he's <laughs> you, you can believe that he would be a family man. You know, that, that's a good example yes. of someone who could could have been a family man at the time, you know, by the way that... Oh, yes. And then Roger quips back, well, you know, do you really believe I haven't thought about that, too? You know, because Roger also has a family that he wants to get back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentioned a few weeks ago that he's been in prison, I think, nearly, what do you say, three, three and a half years? I think that's what he says. And roughly treated. Uh, well, he, he could would have been treated much more roughly, actually told everyone's... So the fact that the Gestapo didn't oh, know, yeah. that, that helps. Mm-hmm. And and then Henley's response is, oh, I'm sure you have. So uh, he, he's being a little cynical with the way that uh, the way that he's responding about that. And then he goes, well, you know, I know Colin has, which, which, which is a great way, first of all, to end this minute by him saying that line, but also to, to point out the fact that, okay, the two of them have bunked together for a few months or whatever it is. And they've, they've had very mm-hmm. deep conversations. They've discussed the fact of, yeah. they've discussed their families, they've discussed, uh, you know, where they want to, what, what their plan is once they get free and things like that. So, you know, just this little line of him saying that he knows that Colin has thought about what he's going to do uh, or, or that he wants to get back to his family and children is, it's an important aside that, that's mentioned here. Because it, it, it explains also why later in the week when we'll discuss this, you know, Henley offers, uh, makes makes an offer that, that most people wouldn't necessarily do just for someone that they barely know. So apparently they, they mm-hmm. do have a stronger connection that has been building up throughout the course of, of the time that they're here together. So I, I found that very interesting. So as, as we mentioned, yeah. this week is, uh, you know, Donald Pleasant's uh, Appreciation Week, and you wanted to to highlight a different one of his movies every day. So uh, what movie would you like to highlight today? Yeah, so we're just, we're looking at the movies that came out right around this time. Just the, the, the handful of movies that Donald Pleasance was working on in the, the mid-60s here. And so the movie today to add to your Netflix queue is Dr. Crippen. Which, uh, now there's some disagreement as to when exactly that came out. Uh, Wikipedia says 1962, IMDb says 1963. I'm going to count this as a movie that he worked on after The Great Escape. Uh, and as with yesterday's movie, The Guest, in this one, Donald Pleasance plays the titular character, Dr. Crippen. It's a movie about the 1910 trial of Dr. Holly Harvey Crippen, who was accused of poisoning, dismembering, and burying his wife before escaping the country with his mistress. And the movie shows the trial of Dr. Crippen and tries to uncover the mystery of whether Dr. Crippen was really guilty of murder or whether there's some other motivation going on here. So it's a nice tight hundred minute movie and Donald Pleasant sports an amazing mustache in this film and looks totally transformed, but perhaps he was uh, a little influenced by his turn as Blythe because he's got some spectacles as well to make sure that his eyesight is not in question for this movie. <laughs> I don't think, I don't but, think, uh, uh, I, I don't think glasses would have helped him in this case either. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. 
But uh, Dr. Crippen is the next thing to add for your Donald Pleasance Appreciation Week viewing. Wow. You see, I, I, as, as anyone who knows me knows that I see a lot of movies. And so far, you've picked two that I haven't seen, and you've convinced me that they both sound interesting to, to check out. So I'm going to be checking them out. That's for sure. Excellent. Uh, so thank you for that for, for another suggestion. All right. Do you want to once again tell people how they can uh, get in touch with uh, you? You can find me. Uh, I have a little personal website, fatherdavidmowry.com, where I have a blog that I update sometimes. Uh, but you can also find my other Movies by Minutes appearances cataloged there. So if you want to hear more of my blathering on various movies, you can find all of those episodes there. All right. Excellent. In order to contact me, you can send an email to thegreatminute at gmail.com. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. Our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. Or you can find us on Facebook at our Facebook group, group The Cooler. So, until tomorrow, tally-ho! Tally-ho! Tally-ho!